God bless you guys. Really good to be sharing this time together. I love that entry right there that we just had, the, the bumper, um, with our SEM students. Talking about how there's a time when Jesus said to uh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how often I wanted to gather you under my wings like a hen would its little chicks. Just want to protect you. Mother's love. Uh, but they weren't willing to come and, and be protected. But that's God's heart. I love you. And it's going to be okay. Mother's love. Um, just want to say that, uh, uh, love that uh, kid's story up here. It's always great to see the kids with the J, with the O, with the Y. It's all just, it's all just so great. Um, love it. And I, I want to give a shout out to our, our, our team. The last three weeks as we've been going through this series on Exodus, uh, Cedric, Shauna, and Dan. Don't we just have a great, give it up for them, man. We, got, we have a great teaching team here. I just so appreciate them so much. It's beautiful. So we're, we're uh, doing this series. Today we're finishing up the series on, uh, on, on Christmas. Uh, the gift of Christmas, and it's coming out of Exodus chapter 34. And uh, I'll just read the first part of this, uh, since we've been going through each of the attributes that are listed here. This is the most dominant confession of faith in the Old Testament. It's repeated over 20 times. It's the greatest insight, I think, they had into the character of God. And here's what we read. Then the Lord came down in the cloud and stood there with Moses and proclaiming his name, the Lord. And he passed in front of Moses, proclaiming, the Lord, the Lord. The compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands, and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Lord, open our eyes and ears and minds to hear your word this morning. Amen. So we started with justice, and we've been covering these attributes. Kind of, we we're working backwards, and so today we come to the very first thing that the Lord says as he's revealing his name, his character. And the first word out of God's mouth as he's revealing to Moses his character is, I'm compassionate. I'm compassionate. Uh, the word compassionate in Hebrew is rachum. And it actually comes from the root rachem, which means womb. And so rachum, compassion, is associated with the kind of love that comes from the womb. It, it's associated with a mother's distinct love, compassion. And so in, in traditional cultures, and Israel was certainly one of these traditional cultures, and this is still somewhat true today throughout the world, but uh, fathers had sort of, sort of the stereotypical role of the disciplinarian. They were the ones to crack down. Johnny needs to learn what it is to be a man. He needs to suffer the consequences. Whereas mothers, who had no disciplinary authority, uh, their, their role was to be compassionate. And so rachum, this love from the rachem, from the womb, it's associated with the, the mother's ability to, or willingness to enter into the perspective of the child, the suffering of the child, the pain of the child, the one more inclined to have mercy. And in ancient cultures, these were kind of stereotypical roles, father disciplinarian, mother compassionate one. Uh, today, we're in the, at least in the West, we're more egalitarian about things, and I think that's a good thing. So long as there's somebody who's doing the disciplining, if not both, and somebody who's showing compassion, if not both, because kids need both discipline but also compassion. Somebody say amen. But traditionally, that was associated with the father being the disciplinary, and the mother was the compassionate one, rachum. Um, the, the English translation, I think, is good. It, it, uh, the word compassion, come means to come alongside of, right? to, 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 to enter into, to go with. And then... Uh, 
Passion comes from the word pathos, which means to have emotion or to suffer. So we have compassion when we enter into the emotions or the sufferings of another. When you come alongside of them, when, when their pain is your pain, uh, you're showing compassion towards them. And that was always associated with a mother's love for her child. It, it's really beautifully illustrated in Isaiah 49. Um, here Israel has fallen into captivity. They're in Babylon. And they're in captivity because they pushed the God who was their protector away. And the terms of the covenant in the Old Testament was that if you'll walk with me, I can, I, the Lord says, I'll protect you. But if you push me away, then you're pushing your protection away as well. And they did that through the idolatry and through their rebellion. And, and so they end up in captivity in Babylon. It's terrible. The Lord looks at them in Babylon and, and, and they're there justly on the one hand. This is the discipline. And yet God expresses this motherly love towards them. Listen to this. It says, but Zion said, Zion just is another word for Israel. And they've been in this captivity now for several decades. And so some of them are saying, the Lord has forsaken us. The Lord's forgotten us. But the Lord says this, can a mother forget the baby at her breast and have no compassion on the child that she has born? Though she may forget, or it could be even if she did forget, Yet I will not forget. Even if human mothers are capable of forgetting the child that they nursed, I could never forget you. Yeah, it, you're in this bad place, and you brought it on yourself, and it's been decades in discipline, but don't think I look at you just with eyes of judgment, or primarily with the eyes of judgment. I look at you with a heart of compassion. And my heart yearns for your deliverance and for your freedom, and, and, and I, I suffer with you the pain that you're suffering while you're in captivity. God yearns for their deliverance. That's the dominant compassion, the dominant emotion in, in, in God's heart. There's times where God has to bring judgment, where God has to allow people to suffer the consequences of their decision. And that's all God's judgments ever amount to, whether it's in this life or in the next life. Uh, all, all sin has destructive implications. That's why God doesn't like it. Um, so there's times where God has to do that. But throughout the Bible, whenever God brings judgment, he does it reluctantly with a grieving heart, and he does it with a redemptive motive. Uh, he does it to teach people, uh, to help people learn to grow and ultimately to be restored. It's like you could think of it this way. God is willing to stoop to play this role of a disciplining father as much as is necessary, but his heart of hearts, or I couldn't even say her heart of hearts because we're talking about a mother's compassion here. Her heart of hearts it's compassion on the, ch on the child she has born. Uh, it has almost the connotation of this, this rachum, coming from rachem, meaning womb. It's like you've come from me and you're always a part of me, so your pain is always going to be part of my pain. That's a mother's love. Throughout history and traditional cultures, that's the role of a mother, a mother's love. Compassion, not judgment. And we see God's compassionate heart most profoundly put on display when Jesus comes into this world, uh, when God becomes a human being, takes on flesh, and dwells among us, which began on that first Christmas morning. Now, you need to know that Jesus, when he comes into this world, he comes and he embodies Israel. He is the fulfillment of all God's hopes and dreams for Israel, and also the fulfillment of all the promises towards Israel. And as that, he is the new representative of, of the human race. Um, and all who trust in him now become part of Israel. And so, uh, Israel now is a standard for the people of God. And actually, it's, you see in the New Testament, a microcosm of the whole world. 
So just as Israel was brought into captivity, we learned that when Jesus comes into the whole world, he comes into the world, the whole world's in captivity. The whole world's shrouded in darkness. It was back then and it still is. Uh, the world's in bondage to sin and in bondage to, to, to forces of evil. And there's a lot about the world back then and a lot about the world today that God doesn't like at all. That makes God angry. God loves human beings, and sin always harms human beings, so God hates sin. And God looks at the world back in Jesus' day, and God looks at the world today, and there's a whole lot that harms human beings and that God hates. He hates all forms of injustice, amen? He hates oppression. He hates it when other human beings dehumanize other human beings. Uh, he, he, he hates the, the, the way we stratify uh, people's classes and rank people and, and, and scale people and label people and, and divide people and all the rest. He hates all of that. Whatever is not expressed his love is something that, that opposes him, and, and, and he hates that. And the way that we, we, we just ex exploit the earth and use animals and, and all the rest, he hates that. And we should hate that as we align our hearts with his. But God's dominant heart towards the world, towards us, is not one of anger. Yeah, there's things he's really angry about, but his dominant his heart of hearts is not that of a disciplinary father, but of a compassionate mother. Compassionate mother. And this is what comes out throughout the ministry of Jesus. He's got a heart of compassion. Expresses it to, to, to different people. It was God's motherly compassion, if I could put it like that. God's motherly compassion that led God to look beyond what we deserved and to address what we as a race need. It was God's loving compassion that led him to set aside, to not only be willing to suffer with us, to come alongside of us, but to actually, in Christ, become one of us. And it was God's motherly compassion that led him to set aside his judgment uh, and, and instead set us, uh, forsake his, his divine prerogatives, all of his advantages, and to cross this infinite distance to become a little baby in the womb of Mary and then to be born in this manger, in, in this stable. It was God's loving compassion, his mother compassionate heart that led God to say, I'm not here to judge you. I'm going to make your humanity my humanity. And that means I'm going to make your limitations my limitations. That's what he does in Jesus. Uh, your weaknesses my weaknesses. Your temptations my temptations. Uh, your pain my pain. In Christ, God says, I'm going to make even on the cross, your sin my sin and your judgment my judgment. You've come from me, <clears throat> and all you go through, on the inside of your experience, that's what compassion is. He becomes one of us, immersing himself in our humanity. Probably the most incredible expression of God's compassion occurs when Jesus is hanging on the cross. And he, one of his last breaths, as he's suffocating to death, he uses his air to say this, My God, or, uh, uh, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. As Jesus is, has got spikes in his wrists and spikes in his ankles, and he's been whipped and abused and all the rest, and yet he's thinking about them on the cross. This is what other-oriented love does. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're That's a cry of compassion. On one level, we know what we're doing. That's why it's wrong. We're screwing things up. We're messing things up, our own lives and as a species. But Jesus is saying, they're my kids. This is the, the, the child I nursed at my womb. This is a mother's cry of compassion here. Forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And the father honors that request. And so from Jesus' birth, to, from the incarnation to the resurrection to the ascension, 
Jesus expresses God's gift of compassion to the world, God's mercy towards the world. And this expresses God's heart of hearts. What God is most fundamentally, core of God's being, is compassionate. Entering into our sufferings, making our sufferings his sufferings. So um, several months ago, a friend of mine, Kent Garborg, a uh, longtime friend, he writes books and, and, and uh, devotionals, and a lot of times it's just stuff for his kids. Once a few times he's had some things published. He's a really good writer. He sent me a little story he wrote. And uh, I, I got a lot on my plate, you know, these days, and people send me a lot of stuff to read all the time. Uh, it's, it's endless. And, and so what I do is, is I, if I can't get to it right away, I have a stack that I put it on. And this is the stack of all the things that I uh, want to read, I, 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 I hope to read. Someday I might read, but I can't read them now. And actually, that, that's a lie. It's not one stack. It's about five stacks. Uh, and, and they're pretty high. And so I put it on that stack. And the longer anything's on that stack, the less likely it is to ever get read. But that's how these things go. So I've got five stacks, and, and, and on one of those stacks, I put Kent's great uh, little story. And sat there for, I guess, a month or so, and then just the other night, this week, I, one night I couldn't sleep, got up, feeling wide awake. And sometimes what I do when I can't sleep, I don't know, what, we all have little strategies, but if I read something totally random, uh, not something that I'm just already studying or interested in, because that would get my brain activated. I want to read something that's just kind of random, and it kind of just puts me to sleep. I... And I'd like to tell you, you know, preachers always like to look spiritual. I'd like to say, the Lord woke me up and led me into my room. I just felt led to grab this, this, uh, this piece and start reading it. But the truth was I was half asleep and irritated, and I grabbed the first thing that was there. <laughs> first thing on the top. Sat down and start reading and hoping I'd go to sleep. Uh, but uh, I didn't. Uh, this story awakened me. And actually, I found in this story the most beautiful illustration of Rahum. Uh, that, that I could think of. Um, and if this isn't the compassion. He writes the story not as, from the perspective of, of a compassionate mother, because Kent is a male. Uh, he writes it from the perspective of, of, of a father and a grandfather, which is totally appropriate because truth is, uh, women should not have a monopoly on compassion, amen? This should be something that fathers and mothers have, and so it's all the more beautiful because it expresses a, a father's compassionate heart, which is also from the Hebrew perspective, a mother's compassionate heart. And, and this part of the story revolves around his grandson, 10-month-old grandson named Hudson. And Hudson had a, a cancer. He's 10 months old and has cancer, and he has to go through this chemotherapy. And chemotherapy, I've heard from many different people who've gone observe this, it's, it's, it's always brutal, but it's especially brutal on little kids. And if you're the parent or grandparent of a little kid who's going through chemotherapy, it would break your heart. And that's what Kent describes, seeing he has to go through this. It almost kills you just to survive. Um, And he talks about one night he was in the children's hospital on the eighth floor. They would keep watch with Hudson so he'd never wake up alone. And he was there. And he's struggling with God. You know, but God, why do you allow these kind of things, little children suffering? Um, But as often happens, if you're honest with God and wrestling with God out of an honest heart, you open yourself up for a revelation. Some of the most greatest revelations come when you're angry with God or wrestling with God. If you have a heart that's open to receiving something new. And here's, I I want to read a section of his story. And here's what he wrote. Kent says, The love in my heart for Hudson is as palatable as the pain of seeing him suffer. Hudson's pain was my pain. That's what compassion is. 
I could feel it in my heart. Whenever I looked down at his helpless form, I wanted to take this tiny hand, his tiny hand in mine and somehow miraculously drain every bit of the cancer out of his body and into mine. Had that been possible, I would have done it. I wouldn't have given it a second thought. That's what love would do. That's what compassion would do. And then it occurred to me, Ken says, if I loved every child on the eighth floor of the children's hospital with that same love, and if I had the power, I'd go from room to room, child to child, touching each one, absorbing into myself the terrible disease that had been visited on them. If I had perfect love for every child in the world, for every human being in the world and unlimited power, I would touch every one of them and transfer all their pain, sickness, suffering, grief, and death into myself so that they would be whole again. That's what love would do. A love that pure would touch every human being in the, every being in the universe he created and draw our pain and sickness and suffering into himself, providing a way in which we could be made whole again. That's exactly what perfect love would do. On the cross, Jesus revealed the love of God and the extent to which the love would go for the sake of the beloved. Amen. That's what love would do. I'm happy to tell you that Hudson, uh, the, the chemotherapy worked, and uh, last year Hudson graduated from high school. <laughs> Hallelujah. So that is the good note. Hudson is fine. But see, Someone's like Kent here gives us a, a model of the atonement. You could call it the compassionate model of the atonement or the absorption model of the atonement. Uh, when, you, when you love someone uh, deeply and they're in pain, you, you would just do anything to absorb that pain into yourself. Every parent knows this. If you've ever watched your kids suffer, uh, you would do anything to trade places with them. I sometimes think the parent suffers worse than the kid does. When you have to watch your child suffer, compassion would just like, I want to absorb that pain from you, absorb that disease from you, absorb that malady from you. And see, Jesus is the ultimate expression of God's perfect love because this is what Jesus does. He becomes a human being. He takes on our humanity. And with that humanity, he takes on our fall and takes on the faults and takes on the screw-ups and takes on the judgments and takes on the hatred and takes on the violence and takes on the sin, takes on the nightmare that we've created for ourselves. Our pain is his pain. Why? Because God is compassionate. That's his heart of heart. He enters fully into where we're at. However deep the hell may be, however low the, 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 however dark it may be, however low you may go, God is there. He's on the inside of your pain. Because God is the, the love of a compassionate mother. Enters fully into it. I know you as you are. I love you as you are. And the word I got as I finished this section of, of, of Kent's writing, it, it was just this, and I wanted to write it out. God, the whole being of God, God with his whole being yearns for the wholeness of your being. God's whole being yearns for your well-being. Like God's whole being yearns for your well-being. Like the mother would a child who's got cancer. Uh, the whole being. Of, and see, God doesn't have to divide up God's love to cover the number of people that God loves. Divide up compassion to cover the number of people. God. God's love is unlimited. And so every person is the recipient of all of God's love. Are you following this? You don't get a fraction of God's love or a fraction of God's compassion. <clears throat> you get the whole thing. Because God is love. That's why all of God's love's judgments throughout the Bible are, are, are done, done for redemptive purposes. Because God is love. And even, everything God does is an expression of love. Even when God 
has to bring judgment, which he does reluctantly. Even God's wrath is an expression of God's love. It's done for the purposes of love. However dark things may be, however gloomy they may be, however hopeless they may seem, know that God with his whole being yearns for your whole being. God knows you exactly as you are right now. God knows where you are right now. God knows the condition you're in. He's on the inside of that experience. On the cross, he experienced our shame and our guilt. Maybe you're in a situation where you brought this on yourself. There's this terrible stuff. God is on the inside of that too. You can't go anywhere. Be in any situation where you'd say, no, God is not here in this experience. He's there with you in his love. With his whole being, he yearns for the wholeness of your being. I want us to just meditate on that for a moment. Just meditate on this. God's whole being yearns for the wholeness of your being. For you to become as full a human being, as joyful a human being, as full of love uh, as possible. He yearns for that with his whole being. The God of this universe yearns for your well-being. Ask the, try to imagine that. If it helps to close your eyes, go ahead and do that. Though, If you have kids, you might have to keep one eye open. But, but what does it look like for you to, to, to represent God in your mind as God's whole being yearns for your well-being as much as if your mother would yearn for your well-being if you were that, 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 that child with cancer? Represent that in your mind. Ask the Holy Spirit to help you. Represent that. Because it's true. And as you do this, you might find there's voices in your head that disagree with this. That can't possibly be true because you're a blah, 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 blah. Just silence those voices and affirm this to be true. God with his whole being yearns for your well-being. That's why God became a human being. The fullness of God became a human being. He poured himself fully out for us, for each one of us. Because he yearns for the wholeness of our being. What does that look like? And, and ask the Holy Spirit to help you, and you may find, since we're talking about Rahum, which comes from Lachem, which means womb, and so we're talking about a mother's love, be open to the Holy Spirit representing God in, in, in feminine terms, in motherly terms. Um, God is beyond male and female, right? God's not gendered, and so, yet males and females are equally made in the image of God, so it's, it's totally okay to think about God both in masculine and feminine terms. Uh, and here we have God in Isaiah 49 and other places being represented in feminine terms, which is pretty amazing because Israel is a very patriarchal culture. It's amazing this amount of female-affirming stuff came through. Uh, that's a sign of the Holy Spirit breaking through the hardness of people's hearts. But uh, I, I'll tell you that the most healing dimension of my relationship with God has come as I have related to God as my mother. And I've shared that in other sermons. But I've just found this, the, the, the greatest depth of healing happens as I bask in a mother's compassionate love. A God who gets on the inside, who, who, who knows me as I am, and, and, and who gets me and yet loves me anyways. Whoever you are, whatever you've done, whatever situation you find yourself in, whatever pain you, you might be in, I mean, some people, this is the first Christmas without that loved one. That's painful. First Christmas without that spouse or that child or that parent. Uh, for some, you're just estranged from people, and so you find yourself mostly alone on this Christmas time, or maybe you feel forgotten and invisible. Uh, whoever you are, whatever you've done, however deep the hole that you've dug, how, however dark the night that you've created or that's been created for you, whatever you've done or what's been ever done to you, however messy things may be, 
Know that God with his whole being yearns for your well-being and God's on the inside of that experience. God understands it. God gets it. You are not alone. We just sang about Emmanuel. He's God with us. He's always God with us. And think about the mother looking at that little child that she's nursing. The child didn't do anything to deserve that or earn that or achieve that or impress the mother. Hey, look how good I can nurse at your breast. No, there's none of that going on. The baby's just being the baby. The baby's got all this worth because the baby is the mother's baby. So also you've got this infinite worth because you're a child of the infinite father. Hallelujah. The infinite mother. Praise God. He loves you with that everlasting love and he'll never leave you or forsake you. And see, I, I, in the end, all of our growth, all the things that we're supposed to be for Christ and ambassadors and all the rest of the things we're called to do, but all of that has to flow out of a center where we simply receive. All of our growth is, is really an outgrowth of the love that we get for free when we just sit still and let God love us for free. Not because of this, that, or the other thing. Maybe it's despite a million things that you've done, but you let God love you for free because you never stop being that child that the mother can never, ever, ever forget, can never forget you, can never forget you. I find that in this world in which we're living right now, man, so much is going on. It's scary. So much is going on. It's painful. I find I've got to just sometimes restrict the news because it just gets so down. It's so, so much negativity and toxicity. And I, to this day, and I'm not a man enough to admit, I still like to crawl up on mommy's lap. I need a refuge, a place to go when this world is just overwhelming and it's pain and it's ugliness and, and hopelessness. And, and I think we all need that in the core of our being. A place where we go where we just receive that love that we were created to receive. We drink from that well that we are created thirsty for. Um, I crawl up on mom's lap. And I know that some might say, what a wuss. Oh, you can, can't outgrow mommy's love. You want to go run back to mommy? You're absolutely right. I want to run to mommy. You know what? That's right. And I think, I think all of us need that. Probably the most damage done in this world are guys who won't admit that they still need their mommy. They're trying to be strong and brave and macho. <laughs> yeah. And look what that does to this world. I think we need a little more compassion, a little more mercy, and more people who know that they need compassion and mercy. I want you to know that, that whatever the situation is for you personally and in this world in general, uh, there is a place, a safe place, a quiet place, a loving place, a place of compassion. And, and I, I think of it sometimes as being on mom's lap, sometimes in dad's arms. However you represent it imaginatively, the Holy Spirit will give you what you need. See, this is the source of our hope. This is the source of our peace, our shalom. And this is the source of our joy. Because the Lord who has compassion on us came with Jesus Christ. That Lord still is having compassion on us and he promises to come again and, 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 and then finally transform the world into what he wants it to be. And so this is our source of our joy and our hope. And so we want to end by proclaiming this once again. Uh, that is the joy of the world because the Lord has come. And we're singing this in anticipation of his coming again. And let heaven and earth sing and rain and all the rest of the lyrics that you're going to give us right now. So would you please stand and let's end with singing joy to the world.